to where we're going to be this morning. Um, so we're continuing our journey through the book of John. Last week, we talked about the deity of Christ, really looking at his person. Um, and it's crucial that we understand who Jesus actually is, because if we follow a Jesus that is, not, that is the one that is one that is not revealed in the scriptures, then ultimately we are, follow, we are following something that is an idol. And if we follow a Jesus that we believe is a creature and is not God, then we are idolaters. But we find here in the scriptures an abundantly clear case that Christ is indeed the God of scriptures. That he is one with the Father, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in perfect unity, that they are the Trinity, the one God who is three persons. And so what we're going to look at this morning is really a transition from that idea of Jesus is who he says he is to what actually happened when he came. What happened when Jesus came, when he took on flesh and he dwelt among us? We'll look at the incarnation in a couple of weeks, but what happened? What happened when he came? And so for that, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 1, starting, we'll start in verse 1, we'll go all the way through verse 8. If you would, stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we come knowing that it is truth with no mixture of error, Lord, that it is the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the Christian life. And Lord, we come celebrating, Lord, that it reveals Christ to us, Lord, that it reveals that he is indeed the uh, true beginning of all things. It reveals that he is life. It reveals that he is light. All of these things, Lord, would you apply these to our lives this morning? Would you allow us to see clearly the beauty of what Christ has to offer, that we might celebrate him, And so, Lord, I ask you, I I plead, would you sanctify your saint this morning? And if there be here any that do not know you, Lord, do a great work. Draw them to yourself, rescue them, ransom them. And so, Father, I come confessing weakness, frailty, but I will very comfortably rest in the authority of your word. It is in the name of Christ and through his precious blood we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 1, and I've said it before, and I'll say it probably throughout the entirety of this introduction to the book of John, it is perhaps one of the most theologically dense passages in all of Scripture. As you look at John chapter 1, it covers um, the eternality of Christ, it covers what he did as he came, it covers his incarnation, it covers um, what, like how he exposed, exegeted is the word that the Greek uses, the Father to us. And so as we look at this passage, we're transitioning from the idea uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, that he in the beginning was the word, that he is the eternal God, that he is the one who created each and everything. And we transition into this phrase in verse four, in him was life. Now we live in in a time and and doing youth ministry for so long, this phrase came along um, and and it was a phrase that drove me nuts, but it was the phrase um, ball is life. Um, I know that sounds a little odd, and ultimately the phrase is that basketball, baseball, whatever it is, that's life. That's everything that we want um, is wrapped up in those things. Now, we may not run around saying things like ball is life, but there are things that really do are, 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 the, are the, the, the primary object of our affection. They are what give value to us. 
Um, for me, I remember growing up and being in high school, um, there, was a, there was a period of my life where tennis was absolutely everything about my life. I mean, it was everything I did was wrapped up in that particular task. I loved it. I invested my time, my energy, my money, everything went to that. And what I discovered as I graduated high school is that it can quickly be ripped away from you. That truly there is only one that has life in it. Christ is that. And so for us to look at whatever situation we have, whatever things we cherish and value most in this life, I would encourage you, be aware that life is not present there because Christ has made a claim that he is the exclusive one to which we have life. Now, I wanna go through this really quickly and point out three major things that we find in the scriptures here. First and foremost, when you look at verse four, in him was life. I wanna point to you the exclusivity of that passage first and foremost. In him. Consider this. Does it leave room for anything else? One of my favorite things about the statements that we find in Scripture is very rarely are they vague and very rarely do they leave any room for negotiation with the text. One of my favorite passages in 1 Peter, and it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that language because it makes it abundantly clear that your hope should be nowhere else. Set your hope fully. Anytime we place our hope somewhere else, we're ultimately disregarding the claim that Scripture has made. Set your hope fully. In the exact same way, when we look at this particular passage and it says, in him was life, I want you to understand that if you are looking anywhere else for life, you will come up empty. In him and in Christ alone is life. And I would like to remind you that this is the Christ that the scripture has revealed to us. This is the Christ who is the eternal word of God, the uncreated son. In him and in him alone is life. Now, what does that mean, life? I mean, because just to be honest, life, and we, we have done so much with language where life can mean a thousand different things, but the scripture speaks of three major forms of life. And I wanna walk you through this really quickly because what I want us to understand is it does not matter whether you are simply uh, created and you do not know Christ, whether you are in Christ now or whether perhaps you are looking forward to what's to come, regardless of where you stand this morning, still in Christ and in Christ alone is life. So first and foremost, let me point this out to you. In him was life, physical life. And I say with great confidence that everybody here this morning has this. At least I hope you do. Otherwise, this is gonna be weird a little bit later. In Christ is our physical life. Life. Now, let me make that clear to you just to make it uh, clear that I'm not just wandering away from the text here. In verse three, it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The creature that you are, your physical form, exactly who you are right now, the life that you have, the beating of your heart is given to you by Christ. And it's very important that we understand this because for some reason, we really do think that we're able to sustain our own life. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Your heart could stop right now and there's nothing that you could do about it. In this moment, the Lord may cease to give you breath and there is nothing that we can do about it. Perhaps, yes, we can bring in some medical technicians and things like that, but if it's our time to die, then ultimately it's our time to die. The life we have, we live to him. He is the only one who gives life. So in him was life, our physical life. Now, let me point out a couple of texts because I think these are really important. First is Acts 17, 28. Acts 17, 28 really wraps up and sums up exactly how we as physical beings should live. Listen to this. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. 
That means that every single breath that you breathe is a gift from him. In him, we live. We're looking at this basic physical idea of life. In Christ, we have life. He is kind enough to bestow physical life. And let me tell you, this is what's beautiful about this. On those who love him dearly and those who hate him. That's the the sheer grace of God that there are men who would, with the breath that God would give them this morning, would spurn him and cast all types of curses upon him. That would preach things that are contrary to his word. He grants them life. Every single beating heart, he is the one that bestows life upon him. In him was life. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Scripture's clear here. Every single human being was created by God, as we looked at last week, and ultimately for his own glory. And so when we consider those who are physically have life in Christ, we look at that and there are a couple of things we have to first assume that the Lord has grace to give life. I mean, just, just physical life. I want to deal with this real quickly. Scripture makes it abundantly clear for the wages of sin is death. There's not a time frame on that. Justice, I would I, I say with absolute confidence, is swift. And so for God to grant life to those who hate him, frankly, for God to even allow me to still physically live, for him to be patient enough with me and my rebellion against him to give me life, that ultimately he may one day grant me true spiritual life in him is just the grace of God bestowed to you. And not only bestowed to you, but bestowed on those who would rebel against him and continue in their sin and their wickedness. And so I want to give you this word of encouragement real quickly. There are those in your life who hate Christ and ultimately because they hate Christ, they hate you. Be as gracious with them as God was to you. He was gentle with you, patient with you. And so we, by God's grace, should bear that same patience toward them. He is physically giving them life. And so we strive to make the gospel known to them that they might repent and believe until God takes the breath from their nostrils. It is only in that moment that we cease to attempt to bring the gospel to people. And so he gives us physical life. In him we live and move and have our, brain, our being. Psalm 139, 14 through 16 speaks to this as well. I love this because this is the appropriate response to this. The appropriate response to recognizing that our physical life is given to us by the Father is what we find in Psalm 139, 14 through 16. It says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Listen to this. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The appropriate response to this, the appropriate response to recognizing the Lord is the one who grants you physical life is exactly what we find there. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Do not forget that as he grants you physical life, as he bestows that to you, that you are still, as you are here, an active image bearer of God. I mean, just the beauty of that, that he would give you that image, that even as we sin and we rebel against him, he still allows that he gives grace and patience to us. And so we must look at this text and say, in him is our physical life. Everything that we need to survive, he bestows upon us until it is time for us to hopefully, if you be in Christ, to go home. It is his, in him is our physical life. Secondly, in him is our spiritual life. 
This is going to bring us into the light portion here in a moment. But first and foremost, when we look at this, understand what true life actually is. And I want you to understand that I'm not pulling from a bunch of different um, passages here to point out what life is because John uses life a little bit differently. John really defines what life is. He does so in one particular case in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. He says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That what is necessary for spiritual life is being born again. We look at physical life, which is that birth being in him. He gives us life. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And here we see in John chapter 3, this idea of a new birth. A new birth, new life, spiritual life. Spiritual life that allows us to see the kingdom of God that apart from this spiritual life, it would be impossible. Because listen to the language in John 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Going on down a little bit further in verse five, Jesus answers and says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For us to be born again, it is completely and totally in Christ. It is being born of water and the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is the one that gives us life. A couple of, um, a couple of months ago, I, um, I, was, I was preaching at a church uh, not too far from here, um, and it was a much older church. Um, I mean, I, seriously, the average age, I think, was probably around 90. And um, as I was preaching, um, I really thought a woman died while I was preaching. Um, I was, I, she was fine. She was upright. And then all of a sudden she was completely laid over. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, this woman has died. Um, and you, and, and so what do you do in that moment? I, I trust that, um, she's not dead and I continue preaching. Um, and so shortly after I'm sitting there and, and this is a weird moment. I know I'm, I'm kind of went on a diversion here, but I want you to see this as I was, as I was preaching and, and I think to myself, this woman's dead. There was this little brief moment where the Lord reminded me that it is very likely that many of you preached to are already dead. Um, and that's the major issue here. You see, when we come to the passage like this, physically dead is easy to see. I mean, genuinely. But spiritually dead, I can't even perceive. And the beauty of it is that it's not my obligation to perceive it. It's the Holy Spirit's obligation through the person of Christ to give it. It's the Holy Spirit's obligation and operation to reveal it in their life. But I'm telling you this, in him and in him alone is spiritual life. Do not be fooled because my, my, what would break my heart more than anything else is to preach the word to you throughout your life and to find that when eternity comes, you are just a, a, a dead person in the pew. And forgive me for adding that weight to this passage, but I'm not trying to be gentle with it because I really genuinely want you to understand that there are many that approach and come to a church on a Sunday morning that sit dead in the pews all their day. Spiritual life comes from Christ and Christ alone. It is exclusive. In him was life. And so it is in Christ we have spiritual life. Secondly, the beautiful thing of spiritual life is it is true life. I love what John 10, 10 says. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Do not misunderstand. This passage is not about you receiving all types of physical wealth and things of that nature. Instead, it is about you actually having the life that Christ has provided for you. Real, genuine spiritual life. Life and life abundantly is a spiritual life where, where by which we can look and we can see the kingdom of God, that we can enjoy that, that our 
our life has come and we're able to enjoy perfect fellowship with the Father. And that leads us into our third life that we talked to. And John redefines this completely and totally in the book of John. He makes it so clear that the life that we live is one that is eternal eternal. The beautiful thing about this is he makes it to the point where eternal life, the life that we have in Christ is not something we look forward to. It's something that we live in. And this is so very important because for the longest time in my life, I was preached this gospel that was look forward to what's to come. Just essentially fix your eyes on something that's going to come in the future and just kind of hope for that. That was the worst. I mean, I I'm here and I'm, and I'm supposed to be spending time with the Lord, but I can't even really have what he's offering me yet. And yeah, I'm looking forward to something to come, but, but you're telling me I don't get even a taste of it here. I mean, what a, what a weak gospel that doesn't do anything here and now. Life is clearly defined in John chapter 17. This is not even the words of John. This is the words of Christ as he prays over his people. John chapter 17, we call it the high priestly prayer. Perhaps one of the most gracious gracious gifts of God in the scriptures is John chapter 17. And it says this, and this is eternal life that they know you. Okay, The the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You don't have to wait for this. By God's grace, in him was life. In Christ is life. And we can know him here and now. It is not something we are only looking forward to in the future. Instead, it is something that by the spirit of God, by the word of God, he makes Christ known to us. And knowing Christ, ultimately the one sent from the father to perfectly represent him to us, the one who was with God, who was God, who made him known to us completely and totally is how we know the father. We can actually have the life that God has given us here and now. And friends, if we would simply live in this truth, you would find that the things that this world would have to offer you, they would call them good things. They would call them life. You would find that they would taste poorly. They would taste terrible to you because you have tasted something that is far greater. It is far more glorious. It doesn't leave you empty. Instead, fills you and overflows as we would find in John, I mean, in Psalm 23, that he is the good shepherd that he claims to be and in him is life and we can have it here and now. But once again, I'm gonna point out to you, it is only in him the eternal life can be had. Do not be fooled by those that would argue there are multiple pathways to heaven. That is the single most foolish statement in all of history. No. And we don't accept it on anything else. For some reason, spiritually, we're like, sure, that makes sense. But if you turn down the wrong road, ultimately you're going to end in the wrong destination. But for some reason, we look at spiritual things because we refuse to tell people the truth and say that things can indeed be exclusive, we've opened this road up so that people can think for a moment because we're too loving to actually tell them the truths of God. Love speaks truth. And so for me to you this morning, it is only in Christ. Physical life is granted to you by him. Spiritual life is given as a result of his works. Eternal life is something that we can experience here and now. Yes, we can look forward to it, but it is given by the fact that we can know him here through his word. And so by God's grace, we see in verse four, in him, in Christ was life. 
The second part of this is a parallel statement. So when you look at this language, you see, in him was life. So you've kind of got this right here. And then you've got, and that life was the light of men. So he's concluding these are, these are similar things. He's not, making a, he's not diverting to a new topic here. Instead, he's kind of uh, exploring it a little bit more deeply. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I read like 342 commentaries on this, and not a single one of them tended to agree. Um, and so I'm going to do what, I'm, I'm going to assume that the light that's mentioned here is the light that John mentions throughout the rest of the scripture. And so I want to point out a couple of um, things to you real quickly, and then I'm going to go back and answer the question, what does it mean that in him was light? So in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, verse 19 through 21, it says this, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out by God. So it's this idea of light being something that men either love or they hate based upon what? Their deeds. In him was light. And if we have this hatred of him, the ultimate thing that we are hating is not so much him as much as we are loving the darkness. We love our own deeds. We love our wickedness. And so I'm convinced that what you find here in John chapter one, verse four, when he's, I'm the light of men, it is a physical representation and manifestation of the life that we can have in him. Now, let me qualify those real quickly. When Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So one of the things that can be difficult for us to qualify and understand is what does this life actually look like? How can we understand it? How can we grasp these things? Well, we can do that because Christ has come. The only way that we can understand these things is that Christ has come. In him was life and the life was the light of men. For us to understand fully what the life actually was, he had to come live it before us so that we could accurately perceive it. You see, there's this idea of what life is, but when someone comes and and exposes that, makes it abundantly clear to you what it looks like to actually live free from the darkness that has you captive, then all of a sudden you see What he has is not what I have. And perhaps you've even seen this in your own life because scripture even makes the point that if we walk in the light, then we can become sons of the light, that we can be ones who make clear even the life that Christ has given to us, that he dwells within us by the Holy Spirit of God and we're able to make life clear to others as we live it. Perhaps you've experienced this. I'll never forget a young man who came to be my youth pastor and um, he came in, I was 14 years old. I had been told about this Christianity thing my whole life, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Very rarely did I see it lived out in a way that made me want it, just to be honest. I saw inconsistencies, I saw faithlessness, I saw lip service with absolutely no life service. And then this guy comes in and he's doing things that I've never seen before. I, I never saw someone who lived faithfully in every phase of life. And while he was simply a representation, perhaps a mirror reflecting the light that Christ has bestowed on him, I was able to see, okay, this, this thing is real. It actually affects and changes your person where you no longer love the things that, that, that are evil. You no longer love the darkness. 
And while he was a, just a simple representation, Christ was the full representation of life. In him, we can fully see what life actually is meant to be. In him, we can see, okay, I'm no longer going to walk in darkness. My deepest affection is to do the will of the Father, to only say what he says and to only do what he does. That's what it means when he says, I am the light. I, I come to bestow that you might clearly see these things. Now, just a, a side note here real quickly. When you look at this text, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It came to bestow an understanding that there is something different. There is something else. You can be free from the darkness. But one of the, beauty, one of the beauties of this is, for some reason, um, we have this idea of a battle between light and darkness being like this grand epic fight that takes thousands of years, and it's like this, I don't know, some crazy war movie that we watch today. It's not the case. Notice this text, verse five. The light shines in the darkness. So the light, Christ comes. He he makes clear what life actually is to be. And it says it shines in the darkness. So first and foremost, I wanna point this out to you. The light shines in the darkness. This is present tense, present tense. It's not as though the light came and as he dwelled on the earth, the light was present. When he was ascended into heaven, the light simply faded. That's not at all what we see here. Instead, what we find in this text is this light that is spoken of, the life that that Christ brought, the light that we can perceive from him, from him, that light still shines. From him, the darkness is still conquered. Look at this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We... mm. We live in this weird thought process where we've got this fight going on for our soul each and every day. Are there battles that take place? Are there civil wars? Yes. Yes, we wage against the flesh. We long to put it to death. But your soul is not hanging in the balance if you be in Christ. There's no victory for the darkness to have over you. Yes, you may sin. Yes, you may fall. But ultimately, if you be in Christ, you rest very comfortably because the light that revealed the life that was in Christ to you can never be overcome by darkness. And friends, that's the most basic illustration that could possibly be given because even in this massive room, if it were pitch black dark and I lit a candle, just a candle, a small flickering flame, you would watch the darkness flee. It is not something, and I am convinced that the reason God created light the way he did was simply to make this so clear to us that his presence, his might, his power will overcome even the thing that is most contrary to it. Darkness is completely contrary to light. The life that is in Christ is completely contrary to our own sinfulness and our wickedness, our love of our wicked deeds, and his light will conquer it all. It is not an epic battle. It is a victory won. Death has lost its victory far greater than that. Sin is conquered. It has nothing to bring to the table anymore. It is a defeated foe. And for those of us who are in Christ, my prayer is that we would rest in the life that Christ has provided to us. And we would also take constant looks at the light that reveals it. There are two ways this light is revealed. First and foremost, it is revealed by taking our eyes and fixing them on the person of Christ. Hebrews 12 makes that abundantly clear. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix. It means to set fully, to never remove. Secondly, as interesting as it is, God gives men the opportunity to share that light. 
And I'll be honest with you, there, there are passages that I come to, and, I, and, it, and I, you're going to hear me say this a bajillion times. That's a real number. Um, that I come to, and I just think, what foolishness. I mean, genuinely. And, and really, in verses, in verses uh, 6 through 8, I, I can't help but think, what foolishness. Because we've, we've just looked at the person of Christ. We've looked at, in the beginning was the Word, the one who would manifest and, and reveal the Father to us. He was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Absolutely everything that we have was made through Him. Nothing, nothing that exists was made without Him. He was life. He revealed life to us. And, and, that, and then He came as a light that we might fully see that, that He conquers the darkness in full. And then there's this weird transition in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. What in the world just happened? First of all, I would like to point out to you real quickly that John makes this nice break and he says, there was a man sent from God. Almost as though he is making clear once again that the person he was just talking to was not just a man. The one he's speaking of in verses one through five, it's not a man. It is the true God, true man, Christ. And he makes this shift and he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now let me qualify this real quickly and say that John that is mentioned here is not the author of this book. The author of the book is uh, the apostle John. Um, The one he is speaking of here is John the Baptist or John the baptizer. He was one that came and he had a very unique task. His task was to uh, make make the, the way straight for the Lord as he came. And, um, The beauty of this, though, is that John came as a witness. Notice this in verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Notice this. He has a firm recognition of this. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So first and foremost, I want to point out to you this. John was a unique man. John was set aside for this purpose. He was set aside to be one who proclaimed that the light has come, that there was one who was coming that would not baptize with water in repentance, but instead he would baptize with the true spirit of God. But I just want to point out the, 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 the sheer brilliance of the fact that God let a man proclaim his excellencies. You know, the, the scripture says that he was the voice crying out in the wilderness. And this is an interesting quote. John the Baptist was the voice crying out in the wilderness, but Christ was the word which was coming. It was almost as if John uttered what Mary had already brought forth. Even greater, finite man used mortal tongue to proclaim the comings of the infinite word, namely the eternal son. That in Christ... He has given us the grand privilege of using mortal tongue to proclaim the eternal excellencies of the light of the world that is able to conquer darkness in full. You see, we're going to deal with John in the coming days, but I just wanted to point this simple thing out to you, that the beauty of everything that we find in verses 1 through 5, God has given men the privilege of proclaiming that light, proclaiming that life to others. And, And just as a side note here, everything that we just talked about, I understand it was theological in nature. The practicality of it is in the fact that we would be faithful to go and share it with others. You see, the beauty of the the theological implications of verses 1 through 5 is what you have is a salvation that is actually possible. Because if verses 1 through 5 of John are not true, then ultimately there's no salvation that men can offer anyone. But the beauty is it's true. The beauty is that he is indeed the word, that he is the light of the world, that he is the one who has brought life to us. And by God's grace, he can then, we can then share that good news with others. Now, let me make this clear for you. 
We are coming into a time, this is just a practical note that I want to point out. In this time, we're in the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of these things roll around. And I'm sorry, I, I know that these days do give us a unique opportunity to share Christ with people. Please, I'm begging you, do not pass up the opportunity. They are come and they are celebrating Christ, though they don't even know him. And so my prayer for you this morning is that as we have looked at the word, as we have looked at the one who has life, as we look at the one who bestows light, that we might go into the darkness, that we might go into those who are still captive to their sin, they still live in death apart from Christ, that we might be bold and go and share the good news of Christ with them because only he is able to cast out darkness. And so by God's grace, my prayer for you over the next couple of months is that you take those opportunities. Take them with boldness and confidence because God has given men, those whom he has rescued and redeemed, a tongue to tell the good news of Christ.